Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hey friends, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four. And I'm so excited to welcome my friend, Lauren Gaines. Lauren has a master's degree in psychology, and she founded Inspired Motherhood as a place to empower mothers to know their worth and equip families with the right tools to raise spiritually and emotionally healthy kids. She lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and three kids. Lauren, welcome so much. I'm so excited to have you on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking to you, Jessica. So I know this is going to be fun. <laughs> I know it's going to be so great. We're just going to have one of our normal conversations and a few thousand of our friends will listen in. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, Lauren, tell us about the Inspired Motherhood community. Okay, so I started this. Initially, it was more because I found a need for myself. I always wanted to be a mom. I like couldn't wait. Even as a young kid, I know people are like, what do you want to be? And I would say different things, but like I knew I wanted to be a mom. And then I had my first daughter, my oldest as a daughter. And I was like, who never told me how hard this was going to be? Like, why <laughs> didn't anyone tell me? And my mom was like, we did tell you, you just weren't ready. And I was like, that's true. So I wanted a place where I could connect with other moms and where we could just lift each other up. And then especially, I feel like really in the last 10 years, it's accelerated. The world just feels crazy. And so now more than ever, I just want a place where people can get biblical tools backed, you know, by the Bible and by psychology and science and where they can raise healthy kids because so many people are struggling, adults, kids, everyone in between uh, with anxiety and just with this kind of on edge <laughs> that we don't really know how to like handle life. And we want to raise kids so that they can thrive in this world and they can grow up and they can be strong and they can change the world instead of the world changing them. So that is my goal and hope when I put out different things that parents can get tools and help and encouragement. Well, you certainly pulled me in there. And I feel like we're kind of this, you know, dynamic duo because you focus on younger kids and I focus on older kids. And we're both these science moms, you know, as a psychologist and a nurse practitioner. But the honest truth is, Lauren, underneath all of that, like we're real people. And I'm telling my listeners right now, if you get onto the Inspired Motherhood community and you look at Lauren's Instagram, it's going to look perfect. Like it looks amazing. It's beautiful. And it does encourage me when I see what you're saying. But we have times that are discouraging and we are real humans with real needs and real trials as moms. And Lauren, on your social media actually was the first time I heard your testimony about a challenge and a trial that you endured. And I would love for you to, to share that with us as a real person. Like, how did you deal with that? What happened? And how did it grow your faith? Yes. Oh my goodness. You're so sweet to say that about my Instagram. I think, <laughs> It's true. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with social media because it's like you want to get, you want, I love creating beautiful things. So I love, I've always loved photography and like graphic design and that, but you don't want it to become this like perfect ideal because no, like you said, nobody's life is perfect and everyone has struggles. We just don't always see it on everyone's highlight reels online, but I'm going to try to 
keep this somewhat short because I could talk for a while (laughs) about this. But after my second child was born, my son, I started taking bar three classes. I don't know if you've ever done that. It was like more intense exercise than I was used to. And I came home one night and I was like, my abs are really hurting. And I knew I was like not in the best shape. So I was like, maybe it's just, you know, I am not, not <laughs> like doing this well. And I was like feeling around and I felt a lump and my husband is an internal medicine physician. So I like, he waited till he got home from work and showed him and he like kind of had a concerned look. And I'm like, oh no, when your like medical doctor is concerned and <laughs> says you need to go to the doctor, you're like, Panic. this is not good, you know, because he normally thinks that like, everything is fine and you don't need to do because he sees really bad things, you know? So like a normal cold, he's like, it's fine. Um, So I went and did all these tests. And the hardest part was, I think I found it in the fall, but you know, testing takes time. And so I got like an ultrasound, then an MRI, then a biopsy. And it was around Christmas time. I was waiting for the results and Christmas is like my favorite. I mean, I think anyone with like little kids and just memories of our childhood, Christmas is, I love it. And I just felt so joyless. And it was so hard trying to create a normal atmosphere for my kids because they were young and they love Christmas too. And I just felt like it was hard to get in God's presence. It was hard to trust and believe. And it was hard to feel happy in one of the months that I'm normally the happiest, you know? So um, it turned out to be a desmoid tumor, which of course is is not cancer. So it's not, it doesn't spread to your body, thank God, but also can be an aggressive type of a tumor and one in a million people get it. So of course I'm thinking in my head, why? Like I want something good that's one in a million. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want this to be my one in a million moment, you know? And um, Google is is not your best friend when these things happen. And I'm like seeing people saying they had like five, six surgeries and part of their leg is like missing because they have to take such wide margins because it's an, it can be an aggressive type of tumor that grows quickly. And I think if the statistic is like 50 to 60% of the time, if you remove it, it grows back. So it has a high, like, um, is that incidence rate? I don't know. (laughs) Um, it's scary is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I have little kids, you know, and just feeling like it, it really did feel like my life kind of flashed before me, even though it was not cancer, it still felt like this huge thing. And I think it's different when we're just taking care of ourselves, but when we have to take care of other people and Mm -hmm. we're feeling this heavy weight and it was like, I just wanted someone else to take me into God's presence. I, and I think it's important to have people when we're going through trials who will stand in the gap for us because we might not have the strength, But at the end of the day, I really felt like when I found joy and peace in the midst of the storm, it was when I just was vulnerable before God and just told Him, I'm mad, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm upset and I'm scared and just poured my heart out before Him because, like I said, I wanted my husband to do that. I'm like, I just want you to pray for me. I just want you to go to God for me. I felt like I didn't know what to say to God. I felt like I didn't know how to get in His presence. But when I finally did that, I was able to have a sense of peace that wasn't there before. And then to keep this somewhat condensed, um, they think pregnancy can make it grow. So they think it it happened because of my second pregnancy. But 
my uh, youngest daughter was born after that. And it was such a, a, that was also like kind of a trial because I wanted another child, but I didn't want to do anything to harm my body. And I thought, I don't, and my, the desmoid tumor for me at that point was stable. It was mm-hmm. not growing. It was, it was just kind of staying the same. And so I didn't want to do anything to risk that, but I also felt like this desire in my heart to have another child. So we did. And at the end of the pregnancy, I went like a month after she was born, the tumor had actually shrunk, which is like the opposite of what they said. They said pregnancy can make it grow. I had to be monitored every three months during my pregnancy. I would get an ultrasound to see like how it was doing. And it's just, it's God, you know? And I think in those dark moments, sometimes you forget now on the other side Mm -hmm. of the trial, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. But in the moment, there were some dark days. And I just encourage anyone, if they're walking through something like a scary diagnosis or even a broken relationship or something where it just feels too hard, keep clinging to Jesus because he will pull you through. Well, I just, I was so encouraged by your story because I think especially as moms, it's hard to be a good mom if everything is going great. If you have no health issues, no financial pressures, if your relationship with your husband is great, like it's still hard. But none of us have those perfect circumstances all the time, you know? And so one of the things that I love about you is that you keep it real. And it's a tough balance between like not disparaging motherhood and saying how hard it is and being negative, but also recognizing the reality of the challenges challenges of modern mothering. So I want to read you something that you wrote and then let you respond to it. You said, too often in motherhood, I'd let my emotions fester until they'd reach a boiling point and I could no longer control them. Sometimes I'd lose my temper and yell. Other times I'd anxiously pace the house wondering what I should do next. Sometimes my kids provoked my frustration. Other times my fluster came out from the world feeling too heavy and dark. Either way, I'd find myself lying awake at night, staring at the ceiling and questioning, am I ruining my kids? What if I'm doing it all wrong? I'm telling you, Lauren, that resonated with my soul because I think there is not a caring parent out there who hasn't had that same struggle. So talk to us about this and especially about losing our temper. I think in this world of pressures and bad news, so many times our emotion comes out as anger. And then we think, you're a psychologist, Lauren. Tell us, have we all ruined our kids? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I was thinking about this this morning, and I feel like... The bad news is we're going to make mistakes. We're not going to do it perfectly, unfortunately. Like, I wish I could tell you otherwise that, yes, there is a way. Just follow this method and you will never yell at your kid again. (laughs) But it's just not true because we're human, you know? And I think that we respond sometimes out of our flesh. And the good news is, though, God can redeem anything. And I feel like He, even if we make a mistake, He fills in the gaps for us and he can bring it back. And we can use those moments. There have been times where I was feeling overwhelmed with life, even during this, when I was walking through that like health challenge. And I just, my patience was very thin because I had so much weighing on me. So then if anything provoked it, I would lose it. Mm -hmm. But I could use that as a moment to say to my kids, look, I'm sorry and apologize and show them what it looks like to apologize and to say like, mommy, sorry, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And then I think we really just need to stop and 
use those moments of reflection, not to condemn ourselves and say like, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm like the worst parent, but okay, what can I do better? And what is working well and what's not really working well? And what can I change? And sometimes it feels like maybe nothing can change. We're in a, we're in a season where it's just going to be hard for a little bit, you know, but other times there are things and it, m- many times we have to be vulnerable and reach out and like tell her husband, look, I need to, you know, tonight when you come home from work, can I have 15 minutes to go take a bubble bath or take a walk or do something for me? Because I will lose my temper when I'm not taking care of my mm-hmm. mental health and emotional health. And when too many things are on my plate, I am more likely to yell at my kids. And I think we really need to be diligent in editing our life down because sometimes we're like, well, we can't take anything off, but is that really true? Or we just don't want to take anything off. You know, I think, ouch. (laughs) I think too, I was talking um, to someone this weekend and they were feeling super overwhelmed and they have enough money to afford someone to come clean their house, but they felt like, I don't know, somehow we feel like we're failing if we do that, you know, Uh if we ask for help or if we get our groceries delivered, somehow that makes us less of a good mom or something. Uh I don't know. But, and we don't want to, we want to be smart financially, but if we can do it, what, I don't think we should feel guilty about asking for help or doing things that's going to make our life easier. Well, you said something really important at the beginning and something that's really simple but not easy about modeling humility, basically, and apologizing to our kids. And we think, yeah, that sounds simple, but I don't know, Lauren, I'm thinking of my childhood and people who are listening thinking, how often did our parents apologize to us? <laughs> like that is That was not a common experience for me. And I think I agree with you. There can be so much power in that. And one of the things I want to ask you about in transitioning here is the brain science of that, because you are a psychologist. And when we talk about apologizing and the really the power of our thoughts, I think if any parent is out there like me, I this is the moment where I start to overthink. You know, I, I feel like I lose my temper and then, okay, I should apologize. But if I apologize, like, but they did something wrong and is that going to show weakness? And then are they just going to think they can take advantage of me? And then they're not going to see what they did. And my mind starts going a million miles a minute. So how how can we like harness the power of our thoughts in those situations? Like what is that that connection over our brain and our emotions? Wow, that's so good. I feel like we could talk about this for a while. And I think that I've definitely been guilty of like psychoanalyzing myself and you know, <laughs> then you become frozen because you're just like thinking about every outcome. But sometimes I think we need to just take that first step and trust that God, and maybe even it is pause and pray and ask God for help in the moment. I think sometimes we respond too quickly in parenting. And if we just paused, I think God will, and the Holy Spirit will lead us and show us where, where we need to take the conversation or what we need to apologize for that, you know, but I think apologizing is another great chance to build your child's emotional health and awareness and say, mommy is feeling really overwhelmed. And, you know, it's not an excuse. I shouldn't, I shouldn't yell just because I'm feeling overwhelmed, but modeling what, our feelings are modeling, you know, like I have this on my plate and I'm worried about this. And 
for little kids, we might not want to share everything, but I think with older kids, we can kind of share like, look, I'm running here, there. I'm trying to get dinner. I'm trying to do this for work. You know, we can show them how we handle stress and say like, this was not the best way. I could have handled this in a different way. And maybe I need to do something like share with them what works. I don't know. Everyone needs to kind of figure out what works for them to kind of calm their mind and their bodies and get them out of that fight or flight. Sometimes when we're just like impulsive and we're upset and we feel that tension rising, we're in fight or flight and we need to get out of it. And so Sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's going for a walk, it's listening, it's praying. Everybody's going to have something different that works for them to kind of calm their mind and their bodies. But I think we can share that with our kids and just let them know, like, I should have done this instead of this. And I think, I don't know, maybe it's wrong, but I think it's okay to be vulnerable with our kids and just share with them the honest truth. I am definitely a fan of that. And it helps them, you know, from my experience and lenses, pediatric development, it helps to hone their thought process and shows us how we're thinking through our decisions and helps influence that. And the things that you're saying, again, I said it before, they're simple, but they're not easy. And you had shared something with me before about a neuroscientist and a communications expert who studied how our thoughts influence our everyday lives. And they found when we focus on negative words and thoughts, we not only disrupt our sleep and our appetites, we even disrupt the pathways our brains use to regulate our happiness, our longevity, and our health. And our thoughts hold power and they shape the structure of our brain. So do you have any practical ways or tips or tricks or is there just nothing exists? Like what can we do to cope with our negative thoughts and to de-escalate them when we're feeling that frustration start to rise? Yes, I think, I mean, kids need help with this. Parents need help with this. This is something that happens so quickly and automatically that we don't always see the connection. And so our thoughts definitely influence our actions, our feelings, everything, but that's sometimes they're unconscious or we're not aware of them. So metacognition is thinking about what you're thinking about. And often going back to like the yelling, I had negative thoughts before I yelled and it just spiraled from there. And if I don't take those thoughts captive first, I am going to yell. It's going to escalate to me like being (laughs) upset. And this happens to me more often than I would like to admit. Usually it's like I'm picking up around my house. I'm like trying to get it organized. (laughs) And then I like step on a Lego or I see, you know, like wrappers of snacks around and I just start to get mad in my head. And I think Mm -hmm. they never help. They never do this. And I'm always the one to clean it up. We need to pay attention to those words, always and never, because that's not really true, but our minds go there. And when we allow ourselves to go there, we start to get angry and we start to feel maybe tension in our bodies because we start meditating and thinking on everything that's going wrong and how no one is helping us and how it's all on us. And then of course, like you can see, that is going to lead to being crabby or like yelling and doing things maybe that we don't want to do. So I think to become aware of what we're thinking about takes time. And I I feel like Christians always talk about, oh, hold every thought captive. But like, what does that actually look Mm -hmm. like? And I think it takes practice and it just takes reflection time. A lot of times in the moment, I think you can get to a point where in the moment you're like, okay, this is not good. Like I need to stop and break this thought loop because it's not helping. But it takes time to get to that point, to be able to do that in the moment. And so 
practically, I would say after you had maybe an explosion, sit down and think about like, what was I thinking before that moment? What was I thinking in that moment? And how did that make me feel? How did that influence what I did? And once you start to recognize your thoughts and your feelings, that's when you can change them. You first need to recognize what you're thinking. And so often, I mean, I the number is debated. I've looked up several times. It ranges from like 50,000 or maybe even 30,000 to like 70,000 thoughts a day. I don't think they know exactly, but it's a lot of thoughts. And so a lot of them are unconscious or we're not always, you know, holding them captive because they're just running through our heads. You can think while you're reading, you can think two thoughts at the same time. I mean, but that just shows how much is going through our brains and how that might stimulate certain pathways. And if we always, have a certain trail of thought that happens during a certain experience, that pathway is going to be like where your brain goes when it happens again. And so we need to kind of rewrite that pathway. But the good news is it is, you know, our brain can change (laughs) their finding. (laughs) They thought like before, I think it was even when I was in high school, they were pretty much saying like, this is the way it is. You know, personality Mm -hmm. does not change after a certain age. Your brain cannot change. That's it. But Now they are finding you can create new pathways and you can disrupt some of those negative pathways and think better thoughts. It just takes time, unfortunately. (laughs) And I think we live in a world where we want it to happen automatically. That is so true. And you're talking about one of my favorite things, the integration of faith and science. I've never thought about that verse, take every thought captive or hold every thought captive in that context. And I'll tell you, Lauren, I've never felt more seen because if my kids are listening, they'll tell you my trigger is laundry. I mean, if I pull out the laundry hamper and I find clean folded clothes in there, like I am going (laughs) to lose my mind. I have to call my husband and say, you need to talk me off this emotional cliff here. And so I I love that metacognition, thinking about what you're thinking about. And, you know, one of the things that I love about kind of our bookend approach to parenting is that the truth is toddlers and teens are not that much different. They're both moody. They snack a lot. They don't sleep that well. They're asserting their independence. And They both want to be tucked in at night. That's actually the truth. (laughs) But how does all of that, when we're, whatever stage of parenting you're in, whether you're with toddlers or teens, and we're all having these real struggles, how does this connect to our faith? Where does our faith lie in all of this? Oh my goodness, that's so good. Because I think the world today tells us like feelings are king, you know, that to like live your truth and whatever you feel is right. And I feel like feelings are fleeting and sometimes we might, well, being transparent here, oftentimes when my alarm goes off in the morning to get up and have quiet time with God, I don't want to do it. (laughs) I want to keep sleeping. I don't feel like it, you know, but I think we have to kind of push past that initial feeling and get in and then, then we can experience God. And so I feel like our faith, is connected. I mean, it's amazing when you read the Bible and the more I'm learning about the brain, God knew all this stuff thousands of years ago, and now science is just confirming it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, But I think it can work together. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we can meditate on what is good and excellent and lovely. And I say that to my kids often, you know, when they're listening to a song or a show I don't really love, I'm like, 
is this edifying you? Is this building you up? The Bible tells us to think about things that are lovely and pure. Is this lovely and pure? And a lot of times they don't want to admit it, but they're like, yeah, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) And I think over time, those things matter. The things that we meditate on, the things that we, we do impact our feelings, our faith, and God, and just like our walk in life and our actions. So I feel like it is really deeply connected. Well, Lauren, I could talk to you all day long, um, but we've arrived at the end of our time. Did that go so fast? But I have one last question for you that we ask every guest. If you could give just one piece of advice to parents looking for hope in building healthy relationships, what would it be? I, I thought about this a little bit, and I know you're a huge advocate of this too, tucking your kids in at night. I remember my mom tucked me in until I went to college, and um, she would say, my brother stopped wanting to be tucked in, and she's like, that's when things started to go downhill. I don't know <laughs> oh. if that's really true, but um, I think finding those moments of connection, I think bedtime is a great time to do that because kids are kind of winding down, especially if you have siblings, if you're like in their room where alone with them, they may be more likely to talk to you. But the other thing I wanted to say to find those moments of connection, when I worked as a school psychologist, I did a lot of counseling. And with I was in elementary and high school. And so elementary, it would look different. Maybe we would do like Play-Doh or play, you know, shoots and ladders. But I always did something while we were, while we were talking and while we were engaging and kind of some tough topics because it just it made it a bit lighter. It made it a bit easier. And I think, especially with boys, and I know there's probably some scientific reason for this that I can't remember right now, but they like to just sitting there at the kitchen table, like trying to have a deep conversation with them is not going to (laughs) work. No. And so finding what your kids like, whether that's playing basketball or playing a card game and doing those things and building those moments, I think, open doors of connection and where it's not just like, if you just ask a teenager how your, you know, how was your day? I'm sure there, well, maybe some teenagers would answer, but probably some wouldn't. And there's other things we can do to connect with them, like sitting down with them when they're watching a show that they enjoy and kind of entering their world, I think allows them to feel more comfortable and the ability to open up to us. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of tucking in my kids and I have four teens and I still tuck in my kids at night. Now, not my oldest who's at college, but we still have a little, you know, good night texting uh, ritual because when I pick them up from school, they tell me their day was fine. But at bedtime, they want to read me the war and peace of their life you know, and everything. <laughs> so I agree with that. Well, Lauren, everything you've told us is so encouraging. Where can we find you? and connect to learn more. Yeah, so you can go to inspired-motherhood.com and then I'm probably the most active on Facebook. You can also sign up for my email newsletter I send out once a week. And it is, there are things that are exclusive to my email list that I don't share on social media. So that can be, you know, like family activities or printables of how to teach your kids to hold your thoughts captive, that kind of stuff. So either Instagram at inspired.motherhood, or if you go to inspired-motherhood.com, you can sign up for my email list there. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. We appreciate you being on with us today. Thank you. 
Hasn't this chat with Lauren been so encouraging? I so appreciate her heart for equipping families to raise spiritually and emotionally healthy kids. It's time now for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies for relationship building with your kids. Parenting can be so hard, but I have a little trick up my sleeve, a simple way to initiate conversation with your teens that will help build your relationship over time. This is a four-step method that I use that's based on a skill I use in practice called motivational interviewing. This model that I've developed just for you is called Love Your Teen, L-O-V-E, and there's four steps that go along with that. First is L, listen with your face. So often when our teens come to us or initiate conversation or we're talking to them, our faces are in our phones, they are on the road driving, they're engaged in doing whatever we're doing at the moment. And something really important happens when we listen with our face. When we make eye contact with our kids, it actually makes their brains produce a chemical called oxytocin, which is much like that of a nursing mother, and it makes them feel physically bonded to us. Now, what we do instead is we actually FUB our teens. That's P-H-U-B, phone snub. How many times have you been at a school event or a sporting event for your kids and all you see is the tops of parents' heads as they're more engaged in their online life than the real life happening in front of them? We also tend to want to speak more than we listen. Remember that you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you speak. So I make a habit when my kids come to me to talk, and I don't always do it perfectly. In fact, often I fail, and I give them permission to call me out and say, Mom, you're fubbing me right now. And that's a reminder to put down my phone, to pull over into a parking lot and give them my whole face and just listen generously. So that's step one. It's the hardest one, but if you can master it, it makes the other ones easier. Listen with your face. Step two is O, offer open-ended questions. Often the first words out of our mouths are lectures or advice or things we want to tell our teens, and we really need to nurture a spirit of curiosity. And the first words that we offer should be, curious. They should be questions. How does that make you feel? What's the hardest thing about this situation? How has your struggle impacted your thoughts and your emotions? Just asking some questions can help them to open up and talk to you. V, validate their emotions. So as they express their emotions, help them name and claim them. Say, I can see this makes you feel angry. I can see this really hurts you. And just having that validation of being seen and known will really go miles in creating relationship with your kids. E, step four, explore next steps together. So after you've listened, you've asked questions, you've validated their emotions, then you've built a relationship and conversational bridge to be able to offer some advice. And then offer that advice and see what they think should be next steps together and you can impart your wisdom. 
When you feel like you've totally messed up, remember that God gives new mercies every morning, and there's so much power in apology. So your conversation keys for this episode are, ask your teen, who listens to you most generously? And realize it may not be you, but welcome the fact that they have people in their life who will listen to them and strive to make it you if it's not you. Another question would be, what would you like me to listen to you more about? Try it out. Let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio. Mm-hmm.